Here we go. We're finally at the episode of the Sooner Nation podcast where we get to preview an actual football game with the Oklahoma Sooners. Oklahoma kicking off the 2022 season this Saturday, 2.30 p.m. Central Time, Oklahoma UTEP FS1, I believe. Um, pretty confident FS1 is where that game is going to be aired if you can't be one of the 85,000 plus people in the stadium on Saturday. Uh, clearly, I don't have the television listings right here in front of me, but I'm sticking to my guns, saying it's FS1. Hey, we're going to break down that game, give you some thoughts uh, on on that. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about recruiting, and we've got uh, your true or false questions. As usual, you guys did not disappoint this week, and it it really does kind of help to have um, to have a game that you can ask questions about. So we're going to jump into all of that. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks for, so much for being along on the ride with this big developing story, I believe on the recruiting trail where David Hicks, who is, he's the kid everybody wants. All right. David Hicks is the number one defensive lineman in the 2023 recruiting class. He's the number one uh, overall player from the state of Texas. 24 seven sports has him as the composite number 12 player nationally He's sitting on 39 scholarship offers. It looks like Miami, Florida, Michigan State, Oregon, Alabama, and Oklahoma are the ones that are are making the most noise. Um, now, David Hicks is he's not going to commit anytime soon. So we we need we need to know that. Okay, he's not going to commit anytime soon officially. All right, that's the important part officially. But he made campuses: East Lansing, um, Michigan State. Uh, is that East Lansing? No, see, I'm, I'm all over the place right now. He, he was at Michigan State on June 3rd. He was at Miami on June 10th. Uh, he was in Oregon on June 17th. Now, this is this is an important if you're following the trail here. He has not set a date to visit Alabama, nor has he been to Alabama that we're aware of uh, as far as official visits and all that stuff go. He does have an official visit scheduled for November 19th to come to the University of Oklahoma. And this story is developing, and the reason why it's becoming big is because on Wednesday, the 31st of August, the Sooners saw the the month close out by getting not one, not two, but three crystal ball predictions by 24-7 Sports for David Hicks to be a member of this Oklahoma 2023 recruiting class. And that's huge. I mean, that's... It's bigger than huge. I don't. What, how, what word would you say is bigger than huge? Because not not only are they getting like the local guys, but Steve Wiltfong, who is the director, national director of recruiting for Twenty Four Seven Sports, he's the one who uh, who was one of the three that made that crystal ball prediction on Wednesday. And so it's to me, it's one thing, and not not. Not to be disparaging or disrespectful to these guys that do this thing for a living, but to me, it's one thing when the local guy, right? The local guy says, yeah, I think this kid's coming to Oklahoma. He he does have the obligation to sell clicks, okay? He has the obligation to get people to come in and to 
buy subscriptions and so forth. And I'm not saying he's biased, but I am saying he's obligated to that fan base to, to keep them engaged with what he's saying. So there's one thing when the local guy gives a, a crystal ball prediction for that team. There's a whole nother thing when the national guy, now he, I mean, look, the national guy, he's committed to the brand, not to any one specific fan base. And so Steve Wiltfong is the national guy, and he's one of the three. The other two guys are local. He's one of the three that's making the commitment or the crystal ball prediction that David Hicks will make a commitment to the University of Oklahoma. Now, you've got a, you've got a, a class right now that ranks number five. Um, number five, 24-7 sports, and that's, that's just a, a drop lower than what they were uh, a week ago after getting back-to-back commitments. But here's what's happened is that Georgia – has uh, got a commitment um, earlier this week. Georgia got a commitment from a four-star offensive tackle. Um, Monroe Freeling is the kid's name, if if you're one of those that, that need names. And so Georgia bumped up actually to number, to number three. So it was Georgia five, um, Oklahoma four, and, and then, and then uh, Notre Dame, I believe was three, but Georgia getting that extra commitment kind of, scooted their way back up. So Oklahoma is at number five right now nationally in the rankings. And it's so close guys. It's, I mean, you're talking a point or less between Oklahoma, Georgia and Notre Dame. And, and where you see Georgia and Oklahoma making moves and, and getting guys, it, it, things are kind of got, got quiet right on, on, on Notre Dame's front. And so if you're an Irish fan, you got to trust the process. You got to trust the system. Uh, but, but really what, what, has been the boost in the arm for Oklahoma was Anthony Evans making the commitment uh, over Georgia to come to the University of Oklahoma. That that's what pushed Oklahoma up to number four. Anthony Evans is the four-star receiver that everyone that morning. I mean, he's from Converse, Texas, but that morning everyone thought he was going to Georgia, and then suddenly things just swapped so so quick. Now Oklahoma also got Makari Vickers that we we knew if you listened to the last episode of the podcast, you knew that was coming um, four-star prospect out of, out of the Tallahassee, Florida area. You knew that was coming, but Evans coming earlier in the day was, was that shot in the arm. And so now you're, you're, you're at a class right now that's got 22 commitments and you've got, you've got two five-star commitments. You got your quarterback, you got a defensive end uh, edge rusher um, out of Kansas city. Those are two five-star guys. You add David Hicks into this and you're, and you, we've been talking about Oklahoma competing to be top five, and they've, I think they, they're there. You add another five star. You add David Hicks into this mix. Suddenly, you're competing for number one. Now, keep in mind, there are still two. By the way, I understand it. There's still two silent commitments that happened at the big recruiting weekend last month that we don't know who they are yet. And and since these crystal ball predictions are coming out, it has been rumored, it has been rumored for a while that David Hicks is one of those silent commitments. Now that is nothing official. That's nothing even close to official. I I preface this by saying this has been rumored. This is a a rumor that that David Hicks uh, it was a silent commitment at that event. Now there's two out there. There's two out there. And, you know, we'll wait. Time will tell. All right. We'll have to wait. Time will tell who it is. But if it is David Hicks and and the three crystal ball predictions coming in now, if they're true, then um, 
then this is a class that honestly, truly, guys, will start competing not for a top five, but they'll they'll start competing, pushing up there for the number one overall class uh, in 2023. I, I think I think Oklahoma's probably finished on the offensive side of the ball. If you're trying to put the pieces together and to see who's still out there, who's still coming, um, you know where where are they going to play? You know what what side of the uh, you know what side of the ball will they be on? I really feel like the the next whoever guys that are coming in are are going to be. I think Anthony Evans was your last offensive guy. I think that's I think that's what I'm trying to tell you guys. I. I it would surprise me at this point if Oklahoma signs somebody else on offense because this is a, a class offensively that I think they've gotten everything that they need out of it, and you know defensively they still need some, they still need some help. You know, you got defensive backs in this in this group. You got Derek LeBlanc who's a defensive lineman. Uh, you got you got Vasek. You've got the edge rushers. You got linebackers, but you really need more defensive linemen. You've got one right now committed. Uh, to this class and and that's where David Hicks would be big and I think there's some other names out there that are are probably down the pipeline that you're going to want to pay attention to uh but yeah that's uh that's it for your recruiting update now we get to talk Oklahoma UTEP football the Big 12 officially gets underway tonight in fact I'm kind of a race against the clock here to get this podcast produced and put out there before uh, Oklahoma State and Central Michigan kick off at six o'clock Central Time. It's currently four or three Central Time, so man, I it, it is a race to the finish. We'll do a Big Twelve rundown here at the very end, give some score predictions and so forth. But uh, it's all about Oklahoma on Saturday, two thirty kickoff. Now, if you look at ESPN uh, and see their matchup predictor, Oklahoma has a ninety-eight point one percent chance of winning this game, meaning that Oklahoma fans should go into it fairly, moderately, extremely comfortable. Uh, the Sooners currently a 30-point favorite over the Miners, and again, we'll have some score predictions here uh, later on. Now, the, the big storyline here is not really UTEP. It's Brent Venables making his coaching debut um, for Oklahoma after coming home 10 years after leaving uh, to go 10 years and some change, I guess, to go out to Clemson. Um, you know, UTEP comes in at seven and six on 2021. They're 0 and one on the season. They lost 31 to 13 against North Texas. And so you're looking at an Oklahoma program that's four and O lifetime against the Miners. And um, if you break down those stats and those odds of those four games, it's really, you're not going to see uh, anything that's close uh, in between these two programs. And so you look at the sub stories and that top sub story has to be Brent Venables, who has to this point done absolutely everything correct. Right. I mean, to this point, he's, he came in, he kind of with Bob Stoops help saved that, uh, 2022 recruiting class made them a, a top 10 class. He, um, he guided this team through the spring uh, in which they had a, a record breaking crowd for the spring game. He, he handled the Kale Gundy situation. You know, you, you look at the transfers in the transfers out. I mean, so far, Everything Brent Venables has done has been right. He has won everything that's come his way since he took the helm of this program. So now you go on, on the field and you play a game. You're still the story. I mean, th- all that stuff is 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 like the sub sub story compared to what you were hired to do. 
at the end of the day, you're thankful that they handled the Kale Gundy situation the way they did. At the end of the day, you're thankful that they got in Dylan Gabriel uh, after the exodus of quarterbacks. At the end of the day, you're thankful that there was a record-breaking crowd at the spring game. But all of that pales in comparison to what Brent Venables was hired to do, which is to win football games. That's what actually starts at 2.30 on Saturday afternoon. And that's why this will be a sellout crowd and a record-breaking crowd and all that stuff because they're there to see this man take a program that is perennially one of the top programs in the nation that is perennially one of the top programs in the big 12 that has made the college football playoff uh, time after time after time again, Brent Venables is the guy who's supposed to take them to the next step. And whether they're right or wrong, people will have opinions immediately after this game uh, in regards to whether Brent Venables is the guy that can do that. So while you've got 0-1 UTEP on the field against your guys, this the, the conversation is really not going to be about that game as much as it's going to be about is Brent Venables the man we think he is. And, and the truth is, I mean, what will you know, right? I mean, you, you got to go, I mean, John Blake, I mean, and I guess that's not too far back, right? I mean, John Blake was the last Oklahoma coach to lose his debut. So Bob Stoops won his debut. Lincoln Riley won his debut. So it's not really a long ways. I mean, as far as coaching, uh, coaching tenures, but if you, you go back to years, I think John Blake's first year was what, 96. So, I mean, it's been a while. It's been a while since Oklahoma had a head coach that lose an opening game. And I, I think, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's, there's any chance of that happening. So you approach this game. And you look at, obviously, both sides of the ball. And you think about what the expectations are. Because you're playing a, you're playing against a, a team who a week ago gave up 400 yards of offense to North Texas. You, you would think that Oklahoma, based on what we know right now, no, 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 uh, no shot at all at North Texas in the mean green. But you would think Oklahoma is is capable of more than that. I mean, this is this is a game where where you look at Dylan Gabriel, very similar in the same way you look at at Brent Venables as Dylan Gabriel, the man we think he is. He's a sixty one percent pass completer. I'm okay. I'm rounding up sixty point seven. But he's he's you know he's. Completed a high proficiency number of passes. He's taking care of the ball. He he's familiar with Jeff Lebby's offense. These are all things that we know, okay? But they're sub stories. He was brought here to win a Big 12 championship. He was brought here to try to lead his team back to the playoffs. So is he going to continue to be accurate on this level? And really, you can't say that Saturday's game is a power five level because it's not, but he's playing for a power five team. And now that he's graduated up, uh, air quotes, with a Power 5 conference, can he still be at 61% or better on his past completions? Can he still take care of the ball and have a high touchdown-to-interception ratio? And I've heard people talk about, you know, a local narrative here. I've, I've heard people talk on the radio. By the way, I'm back in Oklahoma, for those of you that care about that. Back in time for the first game. Um so I've been able to listen to local radio and, and, and look, guys, 
I'm not the only one who knows football, and there's a, a lot of guys out there. You guys listening, many of you know more about football than I do. But I, I disagree with some of the local narratives that are going that, hey, this is you – go, you go out there, you run the ball, you get off the field, you stay healthy, you don't risk it, you don't show. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that line of thinking at all because everything's new. If this is year three of Jeff Levy, I'm more in line with that philosophy, that mindset. But this isn't year three of Jeff Levy. This is year one of Jeff Levy with a brand new quarterback with two or three new offensive linemen with, you know, you're, you're replacing your, your, your starting running back. Jeff Levy's going to have to take this offense on a test drive. You, you ever bought a new car, right? I mean, you, you buy a new car, you just don't drive it down the, the residential street at 25 miles an hour. You put that bad boy on the highway, right? You rev, you rev it up. You see what it's got. You play with all the bells and whistles. You flip, flip the lights. You do the wiper blades. You check the mirrors. Open up the glove box. I mean, you do everything. You look at every detail of that car before you invest in it. And maybe that's a little bit of a silly analogy, but that's, I mean, that's what Jeff Levy has to do. Because you've got this game, and then you've got Kent State, and then you're traveling to Nebraska. When we learned at Nebraska, they're, they're still not a great team. They're, they're a solid team. They're not a great team. But they, they can be dangerous. And you don't want to wait till you get to, to that type of situation on the road against a classic rivalry opponent. That's not when you try to rev it up and see whether, how it purrs at 85 miles an hour. So for the people out there thinking they're just going to be handoff left, handoff right, let's get Marcus Major 200 yards and throw three passes to Eric Gray and call it a day, that's not what's going to happen on Saturday. And that's honestly, that's one of the reasons why I like this point spread. I'm typically, I'm a guy who shies away from a, a, a high point spread. I mean, like, I think Oklahoma State tonight against Central Michigan is 22. And I'm taking the Chippewas. I don't think they're going to win that game, but I think they lose it by, you know, I, I don't think they lose by more than three touchdowns. And, and, but I, I like this point spread because I, I think if you're Jeff Levy, I mean, it's not just Dylan Gabriel. I mean, you, you got to see what's behind him, right? I mean, do you not? I mean, you, you got to get Davis Bevel in there. You got to let him throw the ball. This, I mean, look, when you look at the top four on this depth chart, Dylan Gabriel has never thrown a pass for OU. De- Davis Bevel never thrown a pass for OU. General Booty never thrown a pass for OU. By the way, I think that may be the very first time I've actually ex- ever said General Booty on a podcast. But whatever. Nick Evers, freshman, never thrown a pass for OU. So this idea that's out there that you're going to just kind of go out there and 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 insert yourself and put your logo on the field and just overpower your opponent, it, it can't be that way. It it just can't. You, you got to get Braden Willis down the seam. You got to get Theo Weiss deep. You've got to get Marvin Mims in 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 the in the zone. You got you got to see if your guys can do what you think they can do. You got nine offensive linemen. Do you really have the best five out there? I mean, you, you've got. I mean, he Jeff Levy cannot go out and be vanilla in this offense. He just can't. So what are you looking for? 
Well, I, I, as a fan, I, I this, I mean, in regards to who the quarterback is, and in regards to who the play caller is, you got to look, you got to play clean. I mean, don't, don't, no jumps, no false starts. Don't jump, don't jump. Wait for the, wait for the, wait for the count. Don't have any, you know, don't, don't have your quarterback thinking your receiver is doing an in when he's really doing an out, and then you throw the ball to the safety. I mean, you got to play clean. Show me you understand what Jeff Levy wants to do with your talents. Show me you understand what what Bill Biedenboe is doing with you guys up front, your blocking schemes. I, I don't know that we should expect Dylan Gabriel to get sacked. Maybe hurried on a blitz or whatever. But I'm willing to, I'm willing to bet if, if Dylan Gabriel gets sacked, it's not going to be because an offensive lineman got beat off the snap. It's going to be because an offensive lineman or a, a running back or an H-back, somebody blew their blocking assignment. So play clean. Show me you can play clean. And 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 here's what Jeff Levy really wants. This is the second point of what you're looking for on this offense. You want them to find a rhythm. Dylan Gabriel has less than two years, or two, excuse me, has less than three seasons of experience as a quarterback. But he's already got over 8,000 yards. He's already got 70 touchdown passes. Can he get in a rhythm? Can, can he find a rhythm with Theo Weiss? Can he find a rhythm, I mean, even with your running backs, where how that handoff is, is taken care of? Can he find a rhythm there? Find a rhythm with this offense where it clicks. And and that because of that, you you can't Jeff Levy can't just go out and be vanilla. I, unfortunately for, for North uh, for, sorry I say North Texas, but unfortunately for UTEP, that means that they're they're gonna get the full force of Oklahoma's offense, at least through the first half. And I, I can honestly, I mean this is there's some fandom here, okay? But I can honestly see Oklahoma jumping out to like a 42 point first half, and then you put Bevel in, then you put General Booty in, then you go down. You you look at Tawee Walker. You look. I think we'll see Tawee Walker before then. But you look at Javante Barnes. You, you work your way down in that second half. Couple of key players that I think you got to look for um, on Saturday with this offense. Number one, Dylan Gabriel, um, w- for all the reasons we've mentioned. I mean, he, he's the new star of the show, right? You lose not one, but you lose two high-caliber quarterbacks from this program, and you replace them with Dylan Gabriel, who, in, in his own right, is talented as as it gets. Um, he, he's he's on the spotlight now. This isn't the spring game. This isn't where you come in and say, well, I'm just still learning. I'm still trying to figure things out. No, it's, it's time. Things have to be figured out by now. You're the man. So I think Dylan Gabriel has to be be a key player. And we had, we had a rule last year where quarterbacks couldn't be key players. But I think in this game, in this situation, in this moment, it has to be. Because the truth is that this, this team will go as far as Dylan Gabriel takes them offensively. I think Marcus Major is a key on Saturday. We know what Eric Gray can do, particularly in in the passing game. And Eric Gray is the starter. 
right? At that, at, at the number one is Eric Gray, Marcus Majors number two, and then you get into Taylor Walker or Javante Barnes. But there's been too much talk about Marcus Major just for him to be a guy who comes in and, and carries the ball three or four times in a game. I expect his workload to be substantial. Should be double-digit carries. Six foot 220, I mean, and the guy can run. I mean, ask the Florida Gators. He's got power. Ask that kid from Texas Tech last year who just got his head taken off trying to tackle him. I mean, I'm a Marcus Major fan because I'm a fan of all the, the prep athletes from the state of Oklahoma, particularly those that are from the Oklahoma City metro area. But this is a crucial moment for Marcus Major. I mean, he's a redshirt junior. Technically, he has two years left. He, he, this is the time. It's put up or shut up time for Marcus Major. And when you need that tough yard, you know, it, it's, it's third and one from your own 47. You're in no man's land. I don't think Eric Gray's your answer there at 5'10". You want the six-foot guy. You want the 220-pound guy. So I think Marcus Major, watching what he does and how he fits in this offense, I'm expecting a big day from Marcus Major. And then I, I think Marvin Mims is, is the other guy. And I know that's kind of cliche right there with Marvin Mims because I've said the top, I said the quarterback, I said one of the top running backs, and now I'm going with the top receiver. And I really want to go with Theo Weiss because of, of the injury and being back, you know, going in the portal, coming out of the portal. Um, but I think I think you have to go with Marvin Mims here in, in the slot. And, and the reason why I think you have to go with Marvin Mims is because he was underused in 2021. You know it. I know it. Lincoln Riley knows it. Marvin Mims knows it. And after all the talk of, yeah, I wasn't going to stay if Lincoln Riley stayed and all this stuff. Okay, show us why you feel like you were underused. Show us, prove us right, the fan base who thought you were underused. So I think we know who Marvin Mims is. We know what the expectations are. And this should be a career year. This should be a a third-year C.D. Lamb-type year for Marvin Mims. And we'll know. We'll know on Saturday. We'll know by halftime. Oh, this is why Lincoln Riley didn't use him as much. Or, dang, what was Lincoln Riley thinking limiting the number of touches this guy got last year? And again, the fandom part of me, I, I think that's, you know, look, that's, I think that's what will be at the ladder. Like, crap, Lincoln Riley, what were you doing? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, you were going to USC and you wanted, you wanted Mario Williams to come with you. Oh, okay, that makes sense now. I think that's where we're going to be. So that's it for the offense for me. Let's let's jump over and we'll talk defense. So this may be a little bit crazy for me to say it, but I, I'm going to say it. I I I think UTEP, um, I I think they're going to test Oklahoma's secondary. You've got a quarterback in in Gavin Hardison who was 21 of 48, 293 yards and one touchdown. UTEP's a pass first offense. If you're going to stop this offense, you got to stop the pass. And he's got two receivers that, um, I mean, what the Smith kid at 18.1 yards per reception against North Texas. Uh, Flora, uh, Reynaldo Flores, 122 uh, receiving yards. Both, both guys over 100 yards receiving. This is their offense. I mean, this, this is what they do. They threw the ball 48 times against North Texas. 
I don't think there's anything that you should be overly concerned about if you're Oklahoma. But I think there's enough there, talent-wise, where Oklahoma secondary, I mean, you're you're putting Jaden Davis back out there. It's his senior year. Woody Washington's a redshirt junior. I mean, this secondary, it's time. We, we, we thought, man, if Key Lawrence could find his spot, if Key Lawrence could just go and, and be the man in one spot for one season and know what his assignment is, he'll be a star, okay? You're there at free safety, Key. So I, I think when you look at what the defense is going to do on Saturday, you, you start by looking at this passing game. And understand you've got an offense that's coming at you that's not great at running the ball. Now, they'll run it, but they're not great at it. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. But if you're if you're breaking down Oklahoma's defense against the UTEP offense, the very first thing you're going to want to do is you're going to have to find a way to get to the quarterback. We've said this. Anybody who's been around football says this. It doesn't matter how good your defensive backs are. No one can cover fully for 15 seconds, right? So you're a defensive back trying to cover a guy, and you've been out there for 15 seconds. And I know that's an exaggeration, but the, look, look at look at last uh, the Nebraska game last week. This is a great example, a great example of what I'm saying. Casey Thompson, you've probably seen this play this week, the, the play where Casey Thompson honestly ran around in the backfield for 10 seconds. If you haven't seen this play, go to Twitter, type in Casey Thompson scramble, and it's probably coming up. I think you look over the course of that game by, by watching it play out, Northwestern was the better team. There's no doubt about that. Northwestern was the better team. But there's one particular play where Casey Thompson runs around, literally runs around for 10 seconds in the backfield. And at the end of it, he finds a wide open receiver. Now, the part of the reason why he had to run around for 10 seconds was because there was no one available for him to throw the ball to immediately. But you give him 10 seconds, and there's a receiver that can break loose. So that's a great example. When, when we talk about defensive backs and the quality of the defensive backs being able to maintain 100% coverage for a long period of time, you that's why it's difficult. That's why it's impossible. So much like what we saw, we talked about with Jeff Levy, Ted Roof has, I mean, he's got to test it out. You don't have Perrin Winfrey there in the middle anymore. You got guys, you got to see what they can do. You got to see, can they run this scheme? And and I think you're going to see multiple uh, lineups. I think you're going to see multiple assignments. I think you're going to see multiple player personnel. But it starts with, with, you got to get to the quarterback. So we're typically, well, I mean, come on. No one could figure out really what Alex Grinch was going to do in terms of blitzing. But typically in games like this, you go base defense and 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 you see what your guys can do. I I think again because of what we everything we talked about with Jeff Levy, you add that to Ted Roof and you see some blitzing, you see some pressure plays, bringing guys up the middle, bringing guys off the edge, stunting, delay blitzes. Because there is talent there. I mean, don't don't let a loss to to North Texas make you think there's not talent on this UTEP team. They they don't. They don't have the same talent Oklahoma does, but they have talent that they they can challenge. So you you, you get pressure, and then you stuff the run. I said we we would come back to this. I mean, they UTEP did try thirty running rushing attempts. 
3.6 yards per carry. They had 107 total rushing yards. But but UTEP runs just to keep you honest. They're a pass-first offense. Don't, don't, don't mistake that at all. But they run just to make sure you're paying attention. And so you got to make sure those opportunities don't hurt you. You want that to hurt UTEP because the bread and butter of their offense is to pass the ball. And so they're going to give you a down. If you can stop them, stop them at the line of scrimmage, stop them for a loss, give them only one or two yards. If you can get them there, then you don't, it hurts them because it wastes it down. And it puts you in a second, third, and long situation. And that benefits you. And that's what Oklahoma has to do. If you if you want to get pressure on the quarterback, you got to put them behind the chains on first down. You got to put them behind the chains at some point where you're looking at a third and long situation where you know, man, I'm I'm coming. You got to stop me because here I come. And I think there's going to be opportunity for turnovers. Um, you know, that's the third thing for Oklahoma's defense. I I, I think you you got to you got to get the turnovers. I mean, you gotta you gotta force that issue. Hardison didn't um, didn't throw an interception last week, but he had 27 incomplete passes. So he's not a guy that's going to be you know spot on. I mean, 21 of 48, he's below 50% completion percentage. So there, there's going to be some footballs that are just kind of floating around out there. And you know if he's going to throw the ball 50 times, you, you're going to be in position once or twice you're going to be in position to get an interception. Now, Hardison did fumble the ball last week. And again, that's where, I, I think that's where, uh, that's where you, you kind of put yourself in a position with your, with your pressure on the quarterback to, to force that kind of stuff. But you got to, you got to force turnovers, be it interceptions, be it fumbles. Uh, that, that's not the focus of this defense anymore. You know, the, de- the defense now they're focused on just, how about we just don't let the other team score. <laughs> Forget turnovers, whatever we got to do. You force a punt, that we get the ball back. You recover a fumble, hey, we get the ball back. <laughs> you intercept the ball, hey, we get the ball back. And they don't put points on the board in their process. I think that's the focus of the defense. Just don't let the offense do stuff. But I, I think turnovers are still a key part. They're, that's a, such a momentum swing. And um, and it's still going to be, to an extent, it's still going to be in the blood of these guys after having that coach you know, for multiple seasons under Alex Grinch. That's still going to be one of the things that they think about. But again, you, you, as an Oklahoma fan, you, you can't not be excited. I mean, they're, they, they're, they're, they're coaching these guys fundamentals of tackling. How to break down, how to square up, how to raise your head, how to lower and thrust. That's the stuff you want to know your team is being coached. Where it's not just, hey, let's take the ball away from the other guys. And if we can't do that, then we'll try our best to bring them to the ground. And I know I'm being a little bit facetious towards the previous staff, but let, let's not pretend like there was not a, a serious decline in fundamentals. I mean, we're not we're not going to pretend that that didn't exist, right? So let me give you three guys defensively. I think we're gonna we're gonna keep an eye out on. Uh, for me, it's it's uh, starts uh, two of them are on the offensive line. Um, I think you got to start with Jeffrey Johnson uh, because it's, it's between him and Isaiah Coe. I, I think it'll be Johnson that actually goes out there the first time, but I think Coe is going to get a lot of 
a lot of uh, playing time. And, and I think he should. I mean, Isaiah Coe is a guy I've been touting since Perry and Winfrey told us he was going to the NFL. But um, when you look at Jeffrey Johnson, uh, th- this is the guy that was brought in uh, to fill to fill a, a need. I mean, Perry and Winfrey left. There was a big need there. Uh, you, you had Isaiah Coe. You need a little bit more depth behind that. Jeffrey Johnson is supposed to be the answer. And there's been a lot of talk about Jeffrey Johnson this and Jeffrey Johnson that. And you can't not be excited about a 6'2", 305-pound senior. By the way, he, he's a senior by, by way of the extra year of eligibility brought about by COVID. You can't not be excited about that. But you've also got Isaiah Coe there who, guess what? He's 6'2", 305. And he's a redshirt junior. He has almost almost the same guy, Okay. They've, they've both been in college for four years. They're both 6'2". They're both 305. They both play the nose tackle position. So is Jeffrey Johnson better than Isaiah Coe? That's where we're at. And that's why I think you got to watch that position. you got to watch. And maybe, maybe instead of watching a name, you're really watching a position more than anything else between those two guys. I think they can thrive. I think in a rotation, it's not a competition. It's a rotation. And those two guys can thrive. Now, where I think there is a competition in my second guy to watch, that's that defensive tackle right next door to the nose tackle, where it's supposed to be Jalen Redmond's year, right? This is a guy who's he's, he's healthy. He's mentally in the game. He's, I mean, he's supposed to be a redshirt junior. It's his fourth year in college. Set out for COVID. I mean, he's a playmaker. We, we saw it last year. He's a big guy, 6'3", 292. But there's Jordan Kelly right there with him at, on, the, on the depth chart. The depth chart actually reads Jordan Kelly or Jalen Redmond. And I believe that's a, a true competition. I don't think it's a, man, we've got two guys who are the same person that when one of them rotates out and one of them rotates in, we lose nothing. That's, that's what's happening at the nose tackle position. But and on the defensive tackle position, I mean, it's Jordan Kelly or Jalen Redmond. The two different guys, both of them playmakers. For Jordan Kelly, this is it. I mean, he's redshirt senior. But I mean, for all we've we've talked about Jalen Redmond and, and really kind of thought Jalen Redmond was going to be much much. I mean, look, you can you can put in the same boat as Marcus Major. It, it's put up or shut up time. It's now or never. So I, I want to see how. How much does Jalen Redmond impact this game, especially in a game where you're going to make a focus on putting pressure on the quarterback? My third guy to look for here on Oklahoma's defense is Billy Bowman. And, um, man, again, all the talent in the world. He's, he's, he's lining up at strong safety position. I mean, he's, he's, got, he's got Trey Morrison, who's a senior behind him. You got uh, the Harmon kid, who's a sophomore behind him. But, I mean, Billy Bowman's a kid that again, came in with a lot of fanfare. He could be an offensive or a defensive player. The defense, the defense won out. And, I mean, he, he showed flashes. But, again, he just couldn't find a home. Now he's just starting strong safety. I, I want to watch. This is it, man. This is your team now, Billy. You're, you're a key figure in a secondary that's going to be really put to the test. So that, that's it. I'm gonna you know watch that uh, that nose tackle position. I want to watch I, I want to watch Jalen Redmond, and I just want to see how Billy Bowman adapts to being the starting 
uh, strong safety. Uh, okay, true or false in some Big 12 rundown, and that's going to wrap it up. Man, it's game week, guys. Kickoff Saturday, 2.30. All right, only uh, only three true or false questions this week, and that's okay. We usually do up to five. Uh, three is a good number uh, because it's been a longer podcast anyway. At least it feels like it due to um, breaking down actual games and talking through uh, the Big 12 slate that's coming up after this quick segment here. But we got three questions all in um, – all in favor of the uh, of, of this game against UTEP. Now, this is important. I, I think I throw this out here, but just so you'll know, uh, on Twitter, you can hit us up at Sports Heartland on Twitter with your true false statements because we'll be back on Sunday to recap this game. And if you guys want true or false statements specifically from the game that you want to throw out there for the Sunday recap, hit us up. Uh, just say T slash F. Uh, and then put your statement out there and, uh, and, and at sports heartland is where you hit us on Twitter. Uh, but this comes from Zeke. Zeke says true or false. We won't see, uh, Michael Turk on Saturday. Uh, I mean, we'll see, I mean, he'll, he'll be in the stadium. He'll be on the team. I think what you're saying obviously is that Michael Turk won't punt on Saturday. And I, I think this is false Zeke. And, and I'm going to tell you why, um, because it's a brand new offense. It's a brand new offense with brand new players, uh, and a brand new coach. So, um, if, if they don't punt in this entire game, which is going to be a blowout in which everybody plays, then that's saying something because you're going to have uh, 70 plus points on the scoreboard at the end of the day. Um, I think they punt. I mean, maybe not in the first quarter, maybe not even in the first half, but at some point, Oklahoma is going to punt. At some point, they're going to, uh, UTEP's going to make a play. At some point, um, Oklahoma is going to make a mistake or not get what they want. Or at some point, the talent level will balance out a little bit more as second and third and fourth team guys uh, come into the game. It's going to make it to where Michael Turk's going to get on the field and he's going to do what Michael Turk does. So, yeah, I, I think uh, I'm going to start out with a false here and say that Michael Turk absolutely will punt uh, in this game on Saturday. Uh, Casey says this, um, Oklahoma will have two 100-yard rushers on Saturday. Uh, Casey, I think this is true. I think this is absolutely true. Um, and you know what? It may not be who you think it is. I mean, you think Oklahoma's got two 100-yard rushers, so that's going to be Eric Gray and and Marcus Major. But what if, what if like, Javante Barnes gets in there late garbage time and breaks off a big run? Uh, Tavy Walker, I mean, he probably should see the field pretty soon as well, early third quarter, you're thinking. I, I think Oklahoma, honestly, I, I think Oklahoma is going to go for 300 yards on the ground in this game. I think this will be a 500-plus yard offensive performance for the Sooners, and I, I expect them to go for 300-plus on the ground. Um, and so that just makes sense. I, I so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, Casey, I'm going to agree with you. And then I'm going to say Eric Gray has over a hundred all purpose yards. Let's say, um, let's say Eric Gray has 80 rushing yards, 40 receiving yards. I think Marcus major goes over a hundred yards and then either Taylor Walker or Javante Barnes go over a hundred yards. So yes, I'm going to say in one form or another, Oklahoma will have two individual players who run for 100 yards or more, and then I'm going to add to that, and I, I think Oklahoma, Oklahoma has a 300-yard day. Um, and here we go. Last one from Ricardo. Ricardo says, true or false, Jalil Farouk will lead the team in receiving. Um, so are you talking about yards, uh, Ricardo, or are you talking about total number of catches? Because I think either way, you're wrong. Um, I'm excited about Jalil Farouk. I really am. But, um, but I mean, look, he's... 
uh, he's going to be out there on, at the starting. Um, but you got Marvin Mims, you got Theo Weiss. Um, man, look, I, <laughs> I, I think when we talk about Oklahoma's re- receiving core, one guy that we don't talk about enough is Braden Willis. And what he's going to do in this offense with with a quarterback who's going to be moving out of the pocket. Um, uh, Brayden Willis, 6'4", 240. Daniel Parker's right behind him, 6'2", 245. Those are some big guys. So there's a lot of options out here. And honestly, I mean, look, Ricardo, kudos to you for pulling this out here. And I, I think kudos to Jalil Farouk for sticking around to his commitment and now being a starting receiver going in into this season. I just don't know if that's where I would start. I mean, Theo Weese is your is your deep guy. He, I think if I'm looking for a guy who's going to lead in receiving yards, I'm going Theo Weese. If I'm looking for a guy who's going to lead in the number of receptions, I think I start with Marvin Mims. But I, 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 with this offense, I'm telling you, keep an eye on Braden Willis. So uh, I guess I'm going I'm going false with Zeke about uh, about about. Um, Michael Turk not punting. I'm going true with Casey about Oklahoma having two 100-yard rushers. And I'm going false uh, with uh, Ricardo about Jalil Farouk leading the team in receiving. Um, so there, there you have it. True or false this week, short and sweet. Uh, again, you can participate hitting us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. By the way, give us a follow on Twitter while you're hitting us up about your false question. Uh, you can also uh, old school email us Heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. You can find us on the interwebs Heartland sports.com and each podcast has its own page. Uh, they're not hard to find there and you can drop your true or false question for the next podcast right there. All right, we get to do it. Here it comes. Breaking down the Big 12, week one, college football, 2022. So let's get this recorded and published uh, before Oklahoma State kicks off the season and gets the Big 12 underway for 2022. There are some absolute dogs, as expected, for week one of the college football season, particularly um, when you're a higher level conference like the Big 12 and Power 5. so let me just throw out here some of the dog type games, and then we'll talk about some of the good games because there are a handful of of, of really good games. I think um, Tennessee Tech, Kansas. If you read our um, our power rankings and saw what I wrote through the preseason, I, I have high expectations. Actually, it's crazy. I, I know, but I have high expectations for Kansas. I think they win fairly big here against uh, Tennessee Tech, and they should. Uh, Southeast Missouri, Iowa State again. Breaking in a new uh, new quarterback, new running back, all that stuff. That's a good start for uh, Matt Campbell and the Cyclones. I think they roll Southeast Missouri State. Baylor shouldn't uh, struggle with Albany at all. Um, I think the Bears uh, maybe even gets a little bit of false confidence uh, by just obliterating Albany. San Diego, um, excuse me, South Dakota um, and Kansas State. Where did San Diego come from? South Dakota and Kansas State. I, I think... At least early on, this could be a mildly entertaining game. Um, I don't think Kansas State runs away with this. I think they win comfortably, but you're just kind of like, uh, as a Wildcat fan, going, "Dude, what the heck? You know what? What was that?" Um, but but you win. Um, and then uh, Murray, uh, Murray State, Texas Tech. Um, again, the the Red Raiders should should roll with confidence in that game. Now, when you talk about the games that actually uh, have an entertainment value to them, uh, the best game of the weekend, I believe, could be West Virginia-Pittsburgh. Um, 
But uh, there's one, and that's tonight, by the way, ESPN, uh, uh, is it 6 or 7? I think 6 o'clock, same time as OSU. Um, but uh, so it may be worth uh, channel watching, channel flipping, you know what I'm saying, uh, if you don't have the two TV system going. Uh, but I think there's one actually that will be, be better than that, and we'll, we'll get to it. Um, Central Michigan, Oklahoma State. Here we go. I, I the, the Cowboys are a 21.5-point favorite. Over-under here is 57.5. Um, let me tell you this. I would take the over in this game. I think 57.5 is pretty low. I do not like Oklahoma state at 21 and a half. And the reason why is because we all remember what happened last time. Central Michigan team came into Stillwater. I, I don't think anything like that happens in this game. I, I believe Oklahoma state wins it, but look, Oklahoma state has a track record of coming slow out of the gate, right? I mean, you, we know this. We, we've seen it. They start the season. They usually fail to impress in their season debut. Uh, Central Michigan is a salty team. Um, I, I think I think it happens, man. I, I think this is a fun game. Um, and I think Oklahoma State wins. I think they win somewhere between 7 and 10 points. Uh, but again, I would take that over 57 and a half. West Virginia-Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh, uh, number 17 team in the country. By the way, Oklahoma State is is number 12. I should at least throw that out there. Uh, Pittsburgh, 17 uh, in the nation. This game's on ESPN. Um, Pitt's seven and a half point favorite over under is at 51. Um, I would take the over here as well. Uh, but I like Pitt, man. I, I hate to say this because because you know it's Big 12 country, right? And and I and I. And I'm all about West Virginia. They're probably my second favorite Big 12 team behind the Sooners. Um, there's too many question marks for me uh, on that side of the ball. I, I don't know about JT Daniels. I don't know. Uh, I do know that that Seals kid and the defense is pretty salty. But um, I think there's just too much. I think Pitt has too much going. Um, I think this maybe is an ugly game early, but uh, Pitt runs away with it late. Uh, not runs away with it, but at least gets up by 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 more than seven and a half points. So give me give me Pitt at seven and a half. Um, Kansas at uh, Tennessee Tech. We already talked about that one. That's a, that's a garbage game. Here's the game that you want to tune into uh, on Friday night. If you and it's a late kickoff. It's nine o'clock Central Time. So you could do your high school football Friday night, and then you could come home and watch this game. I think this game is going to be spectacular. TCU is actually a thirteen and a half point favorite over Colorado. This game is being played in Boulder. Um, TCU's struggle really has been on the defensive side of the ball. I think last year they gave up 34.9 points per game, somewhere in that in that area. And the best the best solution uh, is to have you know to play against a, a team that struggles offensively, and that's what they've got in Colorado. And so this is, you know, you talk a lot about in football about good on good. Well, this is bad on bad. You got bad offense against bad defense. And that, to me, makes for some fun football. I don't think TCU covers the 13 and a half. I think TCU sneaks out of Boulder with a win, like a field goal or even less. Um, 57 is your over under here. Um, I, I think I would go the under on this route. But, um, man, I'm telling you, I think that I think, OK, I'm not there's no guarantees here. But I, I think this is going to be a fun game and probably the most entertaining game that the Big 12 has to offer this weekend. 
Saturday night, uh, nightcap. Uh, I would say a game that everyone's going to be, all eyes will be on Steve Sarkeesian as he starts year number two, but uh, but this game's on the Longhorn Network, so not all eyes. Uh, just no one's going to watch this game, and, and you know it's not going to be a sellout either, but hey, the, the biggest and the best, right? Um, Texas... Texas is a 37 and a half point favorite over Louisiana Monroe. So if you're, if you're taking Texas to cover 37 and a half, you, you should be taking that over at 64 and a half. I don't think either one of those things happen. This, listen, this isn't the Homer in me. I'm being serious. 38 points is a lot of points. And Louisiana Monroe has some defensive issues. Texas, we know that their offense is is the, you know, it, look, that's the strength of their team. But you got a freshman quarterback that's start, the starting. I, I say freshman, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, he's a redshirt freshman. He's never played. It'll be his first snaps. I think it's the B. John Robinson show uh, Saturday night uh, in Austin. I think there's, you know, are we going to pretend like Texas doesn't have a, a big game coming up, right? We're going to pretend like Alabama's not waiting a week from Saturday. Man, it, I, I feel like, honestly, this is not hater. This is not Homer. This is not me just bagging on the orange. I look at 37 and a half, and I think that's free money. I mean, like, it's called gambling for a reason, so I could be wrong. But I would take, I would take Monroe to lose this game. And lo- the, you can lose by five touchdowns. Think about this. If you're Louisiana Monroe, you're playing a team that that has had defensive issues out the wazoo. You're playing against that team, and you can lose by five touchdowns and still cover the point spread. I told you earlier, I'm not a fan of big point spreads, and um, and I, I'm going to keep with that. Uh, give me give me uh, UL Monroe to cover that, and give me the under. Uh, gives us Oklahoma and UTEP. Here it is. It's, it's game time. It's decision time. Oklahoma line start the line right now, 30 points. Your over-unders at 57. Wow. Um, what if I told you I think OU scores 55? So there's your over-under right there. I mean, that's, you, you, that means if OU scores 55, UTEP is either going to be a shutout or, a, you know, are you because look, if UTEP scores a safety, you get a push. UTEP scores a field goal, you, you win. I think Oklahoma rolls in this game. I, there's just too much uh, there as, in terms of what the Oklahoma has to do. There, there's a massive talent gap between these two teams, and I think that talent stays on the field a little bit longer, does maybe more than they would typically in an opener because of all the things we've talked about in this podcast. I think Oklahoma wins this game around the neighborhood of 55 to 19 which would cover the 31 points and also clearly cover a 57 point over under. So that's it. Let me know where you agree, where you disagree. How would you answer those true or false questions? What are the players, uh, who are the players you're looking at and what are you expecting uh, on Saturday as Oklahoma takes up uh, UTEP? You can hit us up on the internet at, um, on the internet at heartland-sports.com on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Man, we'd love to hear from you. Always, you can participate in the show. Make sure you like and subscribe to the to the podcast, wherever you're getting it. Uh, give us a healthy uh, rating. And uh, man, we appreciate you guys so much. We hope you enjoy your college football weekend. Boomer Sooner, everybody.
know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man. 